if I yeah, if I can just uh, say like um, the the voila dashboard dashboards, this would be then for this decision makers. So uh, geospatial experts, you develop your code and then you bring your results into a dashboard, which you can then bring to decision makers and your client. And so they see then the maps and uh, the outcomes and the information they need uh, for making the decisions. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Julia Wagerman and we're going to be talking about the Jupiter project and we're really going to be focusing on Jupiter notebooks. So what are they, why we should be thinking about using them and what they might look like in the future. Julia mentions a lot of great resources and, and links in this episode. And if you want to get your hands on them, please join our email list. So go along to mapscaping.com podcast, sign up for the email, and I'll be sure to send those to you with, with the other show notes. One more thing from me, if you haven't subscribed already, consider doing so. This is a weekly pod, podcast, and if you subscribe, you can be sure that you won't miss out on any of the future episodes. Okay, that's it from me. Let's get into the interview. Hey Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to do this interview with me. Really appreciate your time here. So today we're going to be talking about Jupyter Notebooks. Um, this is not something I have a ton of experience. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to your insights uh, on this topic. And I think just before we dive into that, it would be really useful for the listeners if we could just get a little bit of your background. If you could just take a couple of minutes to, to introduce yourself. Sure. Yes. Hi, Daniel. First of all, thank you also for inviting me to the podcast. Um, yes, my name is uh, Julia. Um, I'm uh, currently a PhD student at the University of Marburg and a visiting scientist at the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasts. And my PhD um, is about uh, big data technologies for metrological and climate data. So I investigate uh, how we can make geospatial and specifically metrological and climate data, better accessible to users and make, um, make cloud-based uh, services um, work for, uh, for, for users to get a better access to data. And also, um, I started since last year um, working as a geospatial data consultant and have their uh, contracts uh, developing uh, tutorials and um, workflows um, f uh, with Jupyter Notebooks. Wow. So after hearing that, I have a feeling that, that maybe we're going to have to have you back on the podcast at some other stage to talk about some of these other topics, because that sounds re really, really fascinating. But the topic of today is, is Jupiter. So perhaps we could start uh, with Jupiter as a project. So if I go to Jupiter, uh, I see a couple of different things. I see Jupiter Labs, I see Jupiter Notebooks, and I see something called the Jupiter Hub. W would you mind just sort of walking us through those three things? And uh, just sort of give us an overview of, of what they are before we dive into the actual notebook. Yes, sure. Uh, I think many people have the, the problem really understanding what Jupiter means. And uh, I try to, to, to break it down a bit. So first of all, yes, um, it's not, if we talk about Jupiter, it's not only Jupiter notebooks. Jupiter is a project and behind this project, it's a, I would say already it's an ecosystem of tools and services you can use to develop open source code and uh, tutorials and reproduce and for reproducible research and uh, first of all this is how how it started uh, jupyter notebooks this is a 
uh, yeah, I can say a web-based uh, interface uh, where you can combine code, documentation, data access, and also the output um, of your code or workflow into one Jupyter Notebook, into one interface. And I think this was the, the innovation of Jupyter Notebooks, really, because before you had your code uh, somewhere, then you had your output in a different folder. You needed to open and click it to see actually what your work did, what, what your code did. And you also had your data somewhere. And now you can actually have everything into one interface. Um, this is Jupyter Notebooks. Um, then we have the Jupyter Hubs. Um, and this is basically a hub where multiple users can get access to the Jupyter Notebooks. Um, so Jupyter Hubs are uh, tremendously helpful for uh, teaching and education um, because, yeah, if you, let's say you teach uh, a class uh, in geospatial analysis with Python, for example, then uh, before we had Jupyter Hub, um, people needed to install a bunch of uh, packages and libraries, and it took already an hour until everyone had the same setup. And now with the Jupyter Hub, people can log in and they already have the environment they need, and they they can basically just jumpstart with the lesson and what you actually want to teach about, rather than how to install packages and libraries. So this is a Jupyter. Hub and then Jupyter Lab, and this is now the next step. Um, it's an interactive web based software development environment. So you can, it, it, it's now you can have different uh, you can have different notebooks open so you can it's now getting really more into developing software with Jupyter notebooks on a modular um, with a modular approach so this is it, it, it it's a desktop based software you can install and it's similar to pycharm for python it's just for Jupyter notebooks and really developing codes code with uh, Jupyter notebooks and then even this is also on the this is something very new this is now the um, the, the step after uh, you developed workflows and you have visualizations um, developed in your in your notebooks then uh, there's a new project it's called voila and this is actually now that you can present your uh, results in a web-based application so you can create web applications with with Jupyter notebooks in the back end so there's a lot to take in there I, I think I'll just take a minute here just to try and summarize some of this and we'll sort of head off in towards the, the Jupyter notebook land in just a second so I thought it was really interesting that this Jupyter hub so it sounds like this is the place where I set up my environment create all the packages that that need to be available to students in this example so they don't need to figure that out and then part of that environment is is like a window into that environment and that's the Jupyter notebook book. Am, am I right so far? Exactly, yes. Okay, so I log on to somewhere and I get access to my notebook. C can you tell me what it looks like and perhaps also what, what kind of languages are available to me in that environment? So in the Jupyter Hub, it really depends how the Jupyter Hub is uh, set up, but uh, Jupyter supports dozens of different programming languages. Uh, for, for geospatial mainly, I would say uh, very important is Python and R, but also JavaScript and, and other, uh, Julia and other uh, programming languages. And yeah, in Jupyter Hub, uh, look, so if you, if you enter, um, you basically see a list of uh, files 
I would say, um, which each file can be either can it can be a notebook, and so you open open a file, and then um, an op a notebook starts, and either it's already a predefined notebook. So for teaching, for example, you probably already developed some content where the students can go through, but you can also uh, start a notebook from scratch and then you can develop your own own workflow. But then you can also combine it on the Jupyter Hub, of course, um, with folders where you can where you store your data or some images, um, etc. But this is the, the general interface. Once you enter Jupyter Hub, then it just looks like a list of different files. Okay, and again, and again, these files are all things that are available to me through my through my Jupyter notebook. So now, now I'm in my notebook. Can you describe for the listeners what the notebook looks like and, and what the process is like? Because it's a little bit different from perhaps coding in something like PyScript or, or, or PyCharm. Exactly, and I think this is also the strength of Jupyter Notebooks because it it, it makes the the barrier to get started with coding uh, much uh, smaller, I would say. So let's say I, I always compare it with a Google Docs file. So basically, um, you 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 have a a sheet. So it looks like a sheet. So you have a navigation pane um, or, or a menu on top where you can yes, where you can uh, add a, another cell or you can. Uh, so it's it's similar to Google Google Docs, and then yeah. So and then a notebook consists of different cells, and so you can add a new cell, and each cell you can specify um, if this cell should be filled with code or if it should if should be filled with uh, markdown. And markdown means this is a cell where I then have in the end text and documentation for my workflow, for example. Yes, and this is uh, the way how you set up uh, a notebook and entire workflows with it. So you you choose you you set you you add different type of cells and then you can add text or code into into the cells and in the end you have a full you have a full workflow. So I, I really like the idea that this this environment is already made for me. I, I log in. It sounds like a really simple, user friendly interface, and the sort of mashup of code and documentation in in the one place. I, th I think that's really clever. We talked a little bit about different languages that were available to us. When I can I do I have to choose a language and commit to that language all the way through my my Jupyter notebook page, or can I swap and, and change? Can I write a function in Python and have that feed into something from R? Is that a, a possibility? Uh, yes, certainly. So you can have both. So um, each notebook. So um, how the how a notebook works is is with with kernels, and so each notebook has a has a base kernel. So either um, the notebook is uh, based on a Python kernel or R kernel or other programming language. But you can have the support. So you can either have one notebook just fully in Python and the other notebook fully in R. For example, you can uh, yes, you can pre. So this is what I often do. I pre-process my my data with Python and X-Array. I save the result, and then I use um, R and ggplot for visualization. But then you can you can have another notebook where you can visualize the data. But now it's even possible. There is a package um, where you can where you can transfer objects from one from between Python and R, for example. So. 
You can bring an object from Python, you can cast it as an R object, and then you can even mix both languages in one workflow and you can make use of both the, the advantages of both programming languages within one notebook. So that sounds amazing. It sounds like a pretty flexible environment to be working in. One of the things I really like about this is now I don't have a great deal of experience with it, is this idea that you can I can create a cell, so I write my code in that cell and I can execute that and I get an output, like a, a visual output, if that's what the output is, at the bottom of it and I can sort of step through my workflow it, like that, executing along the way and seeing what the result is. And this reminds me a lot of the debugging process when, when I'm writing code in in, in another editor where you kind of step through the workflow and it seems very visual. It's, it's, it's not immediately obvious what you've done because I don't think any code is completely self-documenting. We, we need some kind of descriptions in there, but I really like the way that that sort of visual representation of, of what's happening at each step. I agree uh, totally. Yes, um, so it's it's it, you have everything in in one environment and where you work. Uh, so you also get uh, directly the the error, and and it's also very easy to execute um, your cell, and then you see if if it works, if it goes through, or if you have to debug and you have to change something in your code. But if it goes through, then at the same time you already have also the the output. Uh, if it's a if it's a map or a plot or or your data structure. This is also very helpful that you you, get, you have directly the print statement and you you can see the the structure of your data. So we've talked a little bit about this, but I want to sort of dive deeper into it now and talk about what problems Jupyter Notebooks are solving. So obviously we've got this sort of pre-built environment. We can make a pre-built environment for our students if that's the use case. We have this sort of very visual way of programming. We can combine a whole bunch of different languages. But I think that that Jupyter Notebooks are solving an even bigger problem here. And that for me is perhaps that reproducibility, that visual aspect of, of what did the process look like. Could you talk a little bit about that and perhaps any other problems that you see that Jupyter Notebooks are designed for that are solving? Uh, yes, sure. Like, yes, I, I, I certainly agree. With Jupyter Notebook, I probably wouldn't say that um, reproducibility is already solved because we have Jupyter Notebooks now, but it's definitely a big step forward towards having better reproducible code, reproducible workflows, and then also reproducible science. Um, because uh, it, there is a set of services available with Jupyter Notebooks that it's easier for people also to collaborate on, on, on code and on a work, workflow. And I think if more people use Jupyter Notebooks and also share their research and their workflows and their data processing code, then not everyone has to reinvent uh, the wheel again. And so they can also take already some workflows that have been already developed and then they can even go the next step and, and yeah, and one step, one step further. I think this is for for reproducible research. It, it's it's a it's a really uh, helpful tool and a, and a big step forward. It's uh, other challenges. Yes, it makes it very easy to to collaborate on code. Someone develops a workflow. You can then sh so on Jupyter Hub, for example, for teams they can ease. It's not only for teaching, but also teams can collaborate on Jupyter Hub and can together develop code and workflow and data analysis uh, pipelines. 
but also you can host Jupyter um, notebooks on, on GitHub, for example, and then people can directly see it and uh, they can also comment it and uh, yeah, give some, some, some comments and uh, advice uh, what can be actually improved. Other challenges uh, Jupyter Notebooks might solve. Yeah, I think we said uh, reproducibility. And another challenge, I think, is specifically Jupyter Hub um, and and then Jupyter Notebook solve is also it brings the code to the data or it can bring code to the data because um, for now it's still often that you have to download um, large volumes of data, you have to have storage space um, on your uh, local machine or on another server and then you can process the data and with Jupyter Hub specifically if you also link it to a cloud storage um, in the back end you can actually bring the code to the data and you can analyze uh, or you can process uh, um, your code um, where the data is. And there's one uh, one community project, it's called PanGeo, specifically for the, the geoscience community um, for climate and um, ocean data. They now bring basically a set of open source tools together to make data processing more reproducible, but also more efficient. And the set of open source tools is um, yeah, Python, Jupyter Hub and Jupyter Notebooks and also cloud storage uh, where the data is stored. So firstly, I just want to say I, I love this idea and I love that we're moving forward to to taking code to the data. It, to me, it just it gives so many more options, so many more possibilities. It, it means, for example, that I can share my block of code with someone else and they can you know, point at the same data source, execute it and test it out and, and then sort of build on it. And the way we, we build on science in general, that idea that we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, that no idea is completely original and building on, on other people's work. And, and that seems to be like... What one of the things that are really going to push us forward in terms of scientific um, development. So really excited about that idea. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if we, we, you talked just at the last in the last few sentences there, you talked about how that this project, and I'll, I'll need to get a link off you later on so I can include it in the show notes, that was designed or sort of focused on the geospatial community. Are there any particular problems that uh, Jupiter is solving in, in terms of geospatial? So apart from uh, bringing things together and self-documenting. I mean, we, we can apply those principles to, to any sort of any industry, I, I guess I could say. But is there any specific geospatial problems that, that, that Jupyter helps solve? I would say Jupyter Notebooks is specifically helpful for geospatial data analysis because geospatial data analysis in the end is also very visual. To come to a, to a effective visual visualization of um, your problem, you often have like a bunch of like large volumes of data behind which you have to modify and process, and then you get your result, which you then can communicate. Communicate, and I think uh, specifically the uh, challenges you have in geospatial analysis um, are are the in in each uh, step. I think um, geospatial uh, workflows they 
they address or we have the challenges Jupyter Notebooks address. So first of all, yes, having uh, an easier access to the data, to large volumes of data and also um, and then at the same time to directly have an output, our map or visualization or plot um, of um, and yeah, to, to have everything together. I think specifically for geospatial, um, it, it, what could be or which is also useful is the what I already mentioned to bring uh, different programming languages together so that we actually set up a one workflow, but with different programming uh, languages, code snippets. I think I like both. I, I, I wouldn't say I'm just a Python or just a R uh, person because I, I see the advantages of both programming languages um, for different tasks. And so I think this should be, we should also more put the focus and emphasis it more to, to take advantages of the different programming languages and combine it in one workflow. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So oftentimes I, I talk to people and they're almost married to one particular thing, like it's, it's open source or it's Esri or it's Python or it's R or something like that. And it seems to me that I, I, I guess I can totally understand you spend a lot of time, energy, resources, you know, becoming an expert in, in this piece of software, this particular tool. But I think the opportunity here is to use the best tool for the job. You know, whether that's R, whether it's Python, whether it's JavaScript, whether it's something else. And I think that this seems to me to, to be the opportunity that, that Jupyter Notebooks offers us on, on top of everything else, of course. So up until now, we've talked a lot about uh, the advantages of Jupyter Notebooks. And a lot of it seems to revolve around this idea of reproducibility, of transparency, of openness, and, and of course, the network effect. But I'd like to push back on that a little bit because... I also hear people say that they're not really interested in how we got to the answer. They just want the result. You know, I mean, don't get us bogged down in the exact technique you used or the the um, the, the tools that 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 you employed to do this. Just tell me what the result is. And I think as as geospatial professionals, we, we have a little bit of a problem here because at one time, on, on one side of the argument, we're supposed to be open, like how uh, document how we got there. And the other side of it, perhaps the decision makers aren't necessarily interested in in how we got there. They're just expecting us to have done our job correctly and give a, a result that's valid. Yes, I agree. I think uh, in, in, in the end, uh, yes, they, they, um, probably depending on who we develop work, the workflow and also the final result for, they probably also don't necessarily have the, um, the ex expertise in, in giving advice or feedback how the workflow can be developed. Uh, can be improved. So um, in the end, because yeah, there's um, a specific uh, company, um, they interested in um, uh, geospatial analysis, and they actually need just a number or a plot or a map where they, for example, can yeah, st start refore re reforestation projects, for example, or um, where there is some different some natural resources or where there is vegetation. And so they just interest in the in this information, which then they can actually bring forward for their for, for uh, to, uh, to the company and also make decisions on it. And I think I wouldn't say that um, it, Jupyter Notebooks uh, is specifically made for this decision makers or uh, clients. I think it's more for it, it's a really good tool for team collaboration. So for people who who know how to code for people who are not necessarily you don't I think you don't have to know how to code I think also Jupyter notebooks they 
they actually they make it much easier to 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 start your coding journey um when if you're interested in but also for yeah to the notebooks also for people who know about geospatial data and what can be done and also what uh, um, um, about different processing ways and I, does this uh, answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it does. And uh, I, I totally agree with you here. I think that, you know, there's, there's, we, we've got to think about our audience sometimes. Like, well, what do these people need to hear? What answer are they looking for? You know, where, where is their, what are they able to understand? So I think it really depends on who we're communicating to. I can definitely see the advantages here for the scientific community, definitely for, for educators. I mean, this seems like an incredible tool for them. But I'm not necessarily convinced that this is a tool for decision makers. I think a lot of the decision makers I have had the privilege of working with, they're more sort of interested in the result. Okay, they're expecting me as a professional to have done my work well and diligently and present them with an end result that then they can add into their decision making equation. So that, that's kind of my take on it. And I, I, think, that, I think that we're in agreement here. If I yeah, if I can just uh, say like um, the the voila dashboards, this would be then for this decision makers. So uh, geospatial experts, you develop your code and then you bring your results into a dashboard, which you can then bring to decision makers and your client. And so they see then the maps and uh, the outcomes and the information they need uh, for making the decisions. I think the as a product, um, the Voila dashboards um, could is for decision makers, so to present the results, but of course, not, not what is in the back end, just then the web application. I'll be sure to include uh, notes and links from that in, in the show notes so people can can go there and have a look for themselves. Uh, I'm just a little bit conscious of the time now, and I have a few more questions, so I'd like to move on to those. What, what do you think this is going to look like in the future? So we, we've got this great environment. Obviously, a lot of development is happening. We're moving on to, to Jupiter Labs, for example, where perhaps people are going to be using this uh, to develop software in, in Teams. Um, is there anything else on the horizon in terms of, of Jupiter that, that you can see coming? Well, I think something very new is now the, the Voila dashboards because um, there is a, a tool or package um, available for Jupyter Notebooks already for quite a few years. It's Jupyter Widgets, where you have like these interactive modules to, 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 to change uh, input data. So you, you could have a button or like a slider. And so a lot of people, they ask me the past years, oh, yeah, Jupyter Widgets, it's, it's quite nice, but actually I don't don't see so what do I do with these widgets and now this is now the next step so the the widgets can now be integrated into these Voila dashboards to really uh, develop nice um, web applications other than that Jupyter notebooks is uh, a lot of people use Jupyter notebooks and but what I would like to emphasis or point out is that it's not just because you use Jupyter Notebooks that it's automatically reproducible, understandable and and, and useful for, for the community. And so because, because it's so easy to start with Jupyter Notebooks, at the same time, it's also you have to actually invest 
additional time and I would say the extra mile to actually make Jupyter Notebooks or your Jupyter Notebook and your workflow self-explanatory and also reproducible. And so it, it, it's not automatically just because you use Jupyter Notebooks that you do reproducible research. So it's still that you have to in you you have to go the extra mile to make it also to make an efficient notebook, I would say. So, and this means basically, this means, yeah, you, it, it is time to document really also for, for teaching purposes. It's time that you also think about how do you structure your notebook, how you structure your workflow, um, how, how you document it, that it is also understandable. Thank you very much for that. Just just one last question here. Do you see, so it, it sounds like there's a real future for, for Jupyter Notebooks as, or Jupyter as a project, I should say. So it's developing, it's evolving all the time. If I'm just starting out and wanting to get into coding in, in, in for, for geospatial purposes, is this something I should be investing my time in? I would certainly so, but I, I would certainly say so, but maybe I'm biased. <laughs> I'm not sure. But I think, uh, yes, specifically if you, if you haven't coded before, um, then I think it's a very nice, neat and easy interface. Um, and also an interface you probably also know about because you worked with other uh, like like a like a google docs or something in the browser uh, before and so when i taught some some courses before i always had like the impression that people is specifically if they uh, start out um that they quite how do you say afraid of uh, yes coding and then oh i could break something and they understand don't understand the interface of um, software development environments and so I think this is a bit lower down the barrier to actually get started. And um, I, I would certainly say so, yes. Julia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your insights. Thank you for coming along today and teaching us all a little bit about uh, the Jupyter Project and especially Jupyter Notebooks and how and why we might get started with it. Much appreciated. Before I let you go, where, where can the listeners go to reach out to you if they have questions or do you have any uh, links that you'd like to share with them where, where they can go to, to find out more? Uh, yes, I'm I'm on Twitter, Julia Wagemann, and uh, I also have a website where I share some some examples on uh, Jupyter no or on GitHub. I would say GitHub is even uh, better. Um, it's also Julia Wagemann, and uh, there I uh, share some notebooks and tutorials and uh, courses I develop based on Jupyter notebooks. Thanks again, Julia. Much appreciated. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Julia and talking about Jupyter Notebooks. Um, just remember that all the links and resources mentioned in this will be available on our website at mapscaping.com and I also send them out in a weekly email. So if you would like to join that email list, go along to mapscaping.com slash podcast. I'll send you an email every week with all the links, notes and resources mentioned in each episode. And that's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel. It's been a pleasure being your host again this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. And thank you too to all the people that are taking the time to share this podcast with a friend. It really helps grow the community and is, is just wonderful. I really, really appreciate it. Okay, so I'll be back again next week with another episode. Tune in then. We'll talk soon. Bye.